Our scripture reading today is from Genesis 37, 1 through 8, and then 12 through 28. Jacob settled in the land where his father had lived as an alien, the land of Canaan. This is the story of the family of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age, and he had made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Once Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Listen to this dream that I dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. Then your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. He answered, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron. He came to Shechem, and a man found him wandering in the fields. The man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. The man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from a distance, and before he came near to them, they conspired to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say that a wild animal devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he delivered him out of their hands, saying, Let's not take his life. Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hands and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the long robe with sleeves that he wore, and took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. They sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, and with their camels carrying gum, balm, and resin on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. When some Midianite traders passed by, they drew Joseph up, lifting him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. This is the word of God for the people of God.
Thank you, Marvana, for reading our scripture this morning. I think you get extra points for what somebody earlier said was 85 verses of scripture. (laughs) Thank you for reading this morning. My name's Emily, and I'm one of the pastors here, along with Pastor Jeff and Pastor Donovan, and it is our privilege to serve here in this community and this church. And we are in the middle of a sermon series called Imperfect, looking at the ways we struggle with the pressure we put on ourselves to at least look like we have it all together (laughs) when sometimes the reality is far different and that struggle is very real. Would you pray with me? Holy, holy God, I pray that you would get me out of the way this morning that what we hear would be what you want us to hear so that we may do what you want us to do and be who you call us to be. May the words of our mouths, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, for you are our shepherd, our refuge, our redeemer and savior. And all God's people said together, amen. Well, if you are a kid or have kids or nieces or nephews or grandkids, you probably have a relationship with something known as Legos. They are these little tiny plastic parts and pieces of different size and colors that fit together like building blocks. And if you're not familiar with Legos, think Tinker Toys, Lincoln Logs, Connects sets. My family, we have in our house a stash of Legos that we purchased originally to create Star Wars uh, spaceships and scenes and characters, and I have as much fun as the children do putting them together. When we first purchased all those boxed sets of Legos, we followed all the provided instructions to put together those Star Wars spaceships and scenes and characters. But over time, life happened Those parts and pieces got put together in different ways. We stepped on some of them, which hurts. We lost some of them, vacuumed some of them. They got pushed under sofas and behind and between cushions. And before we knew it, we just had a mismatched pile of Legos and lost the instructions along the way as well. So they'll never again go back together quite the same way that they started. And now we have tubs and piles and Ziploc bags of mismatched parts and pieces. When my nephews were younger, they decided this was not a mess, but this meant grand possibility And they put together a little game and they would set a timer. But before they did, they put together two identical piles of these little mismatched parts and pieces, the same kinds. And then they'd set a timer for a certain amount of time, turn their backs toward each other and work respectively on their piles. And when the timer went off, they'd turn back around and show each other the creations that they had made. It was so much fun to watch those parts and pieces come together in some new configuration none of us had imagined before. And they would bring out of that mess something beautiful, interesting, and redeemed. 
my nephews would often laugh and say, well, Aunt Emily, only God knows how things will come together. (laughs) Out of the mouths of babes. We've been listening to stories of imperfect people as part of this series. Started off with a man who's imperfect known as Jacob. Last week, Pastor Jeff talked about Jacob's imperfect grandfather known as Abraham. Today, we go down the family tree and talk about Jacob's imperfect children. And the longer I've been sitting with these imperfect stories of imperfect people and families, I was thinking about those mismatched piles of Legos and how sometimes it looks like life happens, right? And things come apart and people make decisions and somewhere along the way, parts and pieces get broken. Relationships get broken, misplaced. Things are lost And we cannot see how they will come together again. God has a habit of bringing something good out of damage and brokenness to create something beautiful and interesting and healing and redeemed. But in this story, we're not there yet. What happens in this story Jacob is now living in Canaan. He's a wealthy man with a big family. And we need to note here that we can't really compare marriage in the Old Testament to what it is today, so we'll just name that. Jacob has not one wife but two, and he has two concubines or mistresses who were also part of the family, so one man, four women. And they together have 12 sons and one daughter. And these will become the 12 sons of Israel, but again, we're not there yet. For now, it is one big, messy family. Jacob's favorite of the four women is Rachel. She has two children. The oldest is Joseph. The younger is Benjamin. Tragically, uh, giving birth to Benjamin is incredibly difficult, and she dies as Benjamin is born. Joseph goes into, Jacob goes into deep grief as his beloved Rachel dies and seems inconsolable. And largely because Rachel was his favorite partner, her oldest son, Joseph, is his favorite child. And Jacob does not try to hide it. He showers Joseph with attention and love and affection and gives him an incredible gift he does not give to any of his other children. It's traditionally known as the coat of many colors. Scripture, as Marvana read for us today, labels it a long striped robe with sleeves. It was a little over the top, frankly, because robes back then did not have sleeves. They tended to be sleeveless to make room for freer movement and hard work. This was not a robe for hard labor. This was a robe for pampering and luxury. And it's like rubbing Joseph's brothers and the sisters' faces in it when Jacob gives Joseph this robe. Something like unwanted icing on an irritating cake. Can you imagine the jealousy, hatred, resentment wrapped up in the giving of that gift and receiving it? 
Scripture says blatantly in verse 4 that Joseph's brothers hated him so much that they had trouble talking to him. To make matters worse, Joseph has a dream. Actually, two dreams, but we only read one of them today. Both dreams have the same message. And Joseph dreams that his brothers will bow down to him one day and does not have sense enough to keep this to himself. He tells them, these brothers who already dislike him, that he will lord over them one day. And so not surprisingly, this takes their loathing to new heights. How might we describe Joseph at this point? He's 17 years old, spoiled by his dad, and he knows it and knows he is his father's favorite. He could be humble or handle that a little better, but he's got a lot of maturing to do. And he will one day be a person of great faith and well-respected as a skilled administrator, but he's not there yet, decades from it. We might call him entitled. We might call him someone who gets whatever he wants. We might call him a spoiled brat, perhaps. But the truth is that this story we tell today is only a snapshot in a much longer story. And so Joseph, like all of us, is a work in progress. How about we call him that? Jacob sends Joseph to check on his brothers, and it's a long journey, about 65 miles to where they are keeping the flocks and herds. Joseph's brothers see him coming in the distance, and they begin to plot his demise. Their thoughts turn violent. They decide they're going to kill him and throw him in a pit. The oldest brother pleads on behalf of Joseph and says, well, let's not kill him. We can still throw him in the pit, but let's not kill him. And so that's what they do. When Joseph gets there, they attack him, remove that hated robe, and sure enough, throw him in a pit. And then scripture says, they sit down and eat. I wonder, were they talking? Were they taunting? Jeering? Laughing? Could Joseph hear them? Was Joseph crying? Was he crying out for help? Could the brothers hear him? I wonder. A caravan then comes by and the brothers decide they'll make a little money off of Joseph. And so they pull him up out of the pit. And I wonder if he thought it was a rescue But it was a transaction, cold and heartless. They get for Joseph 20 pieces of silver. Jesus was betrayed for 30. The brothers are finally rid of their hated, dreamy-eyed brother. And they start their cover-up, kill a goat, put the robe down in the goat's blood, and take it back to their dad. Jacob assumes that Joseph was killed on that long journey by a wild animal. And the brothers do not correct that assumption. They watch their father go into deep mourning. Scripture says that Jacob could not be comforted. I wonder what it was like for Joseph's brothers to watch and hear their father grieve that deeply and know that they had caused it. I wonder how broken.
It gives us a glimpse of some of the awful, painful things that human beings can do to one another. Every one of them in this story makes mistakes to get to this low and deeply painful point, and sadly, this story is not hard to believe. It could be taken out of headlines, taken out of living rooms, taken out of family reunions that didn't go well. Siblings not getting along, relatives harming each other, siblings not being honest and cutting each other out of relationship, cutting each other out of inheritance, entangled webs of love and anger and hatred, jealousy, envy, resentment, competition, retaliation, grief. Relatives holding grudges, blaming each other for things, perhaps abusing and manipulating one another. Oh, the things that people can do. And we may not literally throw someone in a pit, but we still have the capacity to do incredible things to hurt and isolate one another. And those pits can come at the hands of life, at the hands of others, and sometimes they're things we do to ourselves. It reminds me of those sets of mismatched Legos. When things started out looking pretty good, but then life happens, and before we know it, our lives can be a pile of broken parts and pieces that used to make a whole, and no one can find the instructions for how to put it back together like it was, or more likely like how we really wanted it to be, or hoped it would be. And we're left holding the Ziploc bag of parts, wondering how life may take shape or begin to come together again in some way that will bring something good out of pain and redeem the brokenness. If that's you today and you're feeling like you're in a pit or someone you love is, Please surround yourself with people other than Joseph's brothers. (laughs) Please surround yourself with people you can trust and you know who love you and counselors and pastors and your church family and people you know who can be there and will sit in the pit with you and be with you as you wait to see what God will do yet. What's the good news in this story, if any? The good news is that this story has not ended. We don't know what the Legos of their lives will yet make. In the next 13 chapters of Genesis, Joseph's story has highs and lows. He winds up in prison. He's in a good place and thinks it's a mess. He does become a wise and well-respected leader in Egypt and there's a famine and Joseph's brothers end up going to Egypt to look for food and unbeknownst to them, Joseph is alive and well and in a position to help or hurt them. And I encourage you to read the rest of the book of Genesis sometime this week to hear how that story goes. But here's an important little sneak peek. 
In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph says to his brothers, you intended to harm me all those years ago, and God has used it to bring about something good. Have no fear, I'm taking care of many, and I will take care of you. But we're not there yet. In this moment, in chapter 37, they are in the mess and pain of all that is broken and sitting in the middle of it. And this beautiful, redemptive work is coming, but we're not there yet, and Joseph cannot see it. The Bible's full of stories like this, of people caught in the middle of a mess. Think about the flood, wandering in the desert, the crucifixion, What would it have been like to be on day 27 of a 40-day flood, only water in sight, not knowing if it would end and what life would be like on the other side if it did? What would it be like to be in year 7 or 37 in some 40 years, wandering in the desert, sand all that you can see, not knowing when it will end and what life will be like on the other side of it if it does? Think about when Jesus was killed and put in a tomb, a pit of its own, sealed. And his followers are left wondering if this is the end of the story or not and what will life be like on the other side of it if it isn't. And none of them in any of these stories in that moment can know that deliverance is coming and trust in it. Right now, in those moments, they're in the snapshot in the middle of the mess. And that is where hope and trust come in. The good news of this story is to realize this is not the end. And so I would say to Joseph, and I would say to you, hang on, have hope, trust in God. That God can put pieces together in ways we cannot yet imagine. Maybe you know what it is to be in the difficult middle of some work in progress and you cannot yet see where it's going. There was a Jesuit priest in the early 20th century who wrote about times like this. His name is Pierre Teilhard de Chardin and I'm sure I just mispronounced that. This is what he wrote, and I like the way that he puts it. Above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay, and we'd like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new, and yet it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stages of instability and that it may take a long time. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. End quote. Trust that when God's timer goes off, so to speak, that in God's timing, we'll turn around and see what God has made 
out of the imperfection and mismatched parts and stories of our lives. Something perhaps we could not have imagined. Something redemptive and beautiful and healing that brings out of what is broken something that can be whole and new. God is bringing together those scattered Lego pieces of our lives when the instructions don't work and we don't yet know what to do. My nephews were right that there are times when only God knows how the pieces will come together. Thanks be to God, our stories are not done. Amen and amen and amen.